0: This is Detroit today on 1019 WDET. I'm Steven Henderson, and as always, Thanks for tuning in. I hope you are again somewhere warm and safe away from the bitter, dangerous cold outside. This is day two of this madness, and we're hoping to see a break in it tomorrow. Of course, we are here in the studio, though, to bring you today's show as normal. Uh, And if you're like me, you got a little bit of a jolt last night when your phone started blaring an emergency tone. It was from Consumers Energy, and it was asking everyone to turn down their thermostats to 65 degrees. That's because of the increased demand from the frigid weather and because of a fire at a consumer's facility in Macomb County. Joining us now to talk more about this request is Brian Wheeler. He's the spokesperson for Consumers Energy. Brian, welcome to Detroit Today.
1: Thanks. Good morning
0: to you. So let's start with what happened to cause this why did we get this alert last night
1: yeah absolutely so yeah the state the state government did send out that alert to folks across the state across the lower peninsula last night uh it's a combination of things we know it's cold and so obviously on colder days like uh, like today and yesterday that does uh, often lead more people to be using natural gas to heat their homes Uh, we were prepared for that but what what we weren't prepared for was there was a fire that broke out in Macomb county at uh, a compressor station a place where we we store natural gas, and so uh, because of that fire, that station became um, inoperable and we weren't able to produce or provide natural gas to customers that was stored in the field there. So at this point, we do have a reduction in available natural gas for our customers, and that's why we're asking folks right now to take steps to not, not be unsafe, but, but if you can take steps to reduce your natural gas usage in your home or your business, that can provide a lot of
0: benefits to everybody. So, so this alert went to everyone, though, and it included uh, DTE customers. Uh, talk about the relationship between a, a company like Consumers and a company like DTE. DTE is saying, yeah, you ought to lower your thermostat as well. Why, Why would that be true if there are two different supplies?
1: Right, yeah, and, and there are other uh, other suppliers in the state of Michigan as well. Uh, the state send not the alert to all Lower Peninsula residents. Um, even if you are not a Consumer's Energy customer, it would be helpful to reduce your usage a little bit today if you can, too. Um, the idea is that um, we, are, we do have gas that's flowing into the state through pipelines, uh, through our system, uh, that go to our customers. And we're using those pipelines today, too, to get more gas into the state. Um, however, if we can reduce the overall need, whether it's for a DTE customer, a consumer's energy, or anybody else, that's going to leave a little bit more uh, in the system that's going to help uh, help us out in particular as we get through the process of getting this one particular ray compressor station back online. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I also want to ask you about the availability of, of natural gas and the infrastructure that we have for storing it and, and providing it to people. Is this a sign that we're not investing enough? in that infrastructure, or that companies like consumers are not putting enough money into that?
1: Well, you know, we're, we're obviously today trying to figure out first what happened with this one particular compressor station, what caused the fire in question, uh, and we'll be looking back at, at our, our system, uh, the, the Michigan Public Service Commission regulates utilities like us here in Michigan, and they'll be, uh, I'm sure they'll be looking at, at, at what happened here and making sure that the, the right system's in place. Um, the good news was that at the start of the day yesterday, even as, the, as, as we were bracing for this, this historic and record cold weather, uh, we were prepared. We, we, have, we have a system in place that was going to get all the, uh, all the heating needs served for all the, the homes and businesses that we serve. And we serve 1.8 million homes and businesses across the state. So there's a lot of folks who are relying on us. Um, but um, unfortunately, this fire really did cause uh, an unexpected situation. It caused a problem that we're, we're still dealing with today. Um, we know it's a major inconvenience for a lot of people. It's a, it's a cold day. And so you know, we never want to be in a situation where we're telling people not to use your furnaces to, to warm your houses. But if there are those, those less critical things you can do, that's where the, the real benefit is going to come into effect.
0: And, and if you think about the weather trends, uh, we're, we're seeing more and more of this kind of extreme weather uh, doesn't that raise also the same question about our investment in infrastructure and technology to be able to avoid this kind of mishap? If, if there's a fire in one facility, should there be other backups? Uh, are, the, are those the kind of discussions you're having at consumers?
1: Yeah, uh, and, and the, the questions and the, the, the issues you're raising. Are certainly aren't unique to this week. It's our job to be prepared. It's our job to, to serve people so that they don't have to worry that they're going to have the, the natural gas they need or the electricity they need on, on those hot summer days. We do, we do see those extreme situations pop up when it comes to uh, the weather and whether it's cold in the winter, hot in the summer. Um, our job is to do what's what's right to be prepared.
0: So I've seen on social media a fair amount of pushback to this. People saying, oh my goodness, I'm not going to lower my thermostat. I'm not going to put myself at risk or my pets or whatever in my house. Uh, I I wonder what your assessment is of the reaction to this. Are people mostly cooperating or are people mostly a little annoyed uh, and pushing back?
1: Yeah, I you, you have, uh, well, we serve 1.8 million uh, homes and businesses, and there's a lot of people, a lot of reactions that are out there. I think for the most part we have seen people respond appropriately and, and be helpful and be understanding of the situation that we're in. I think the fact that it is record cold does highlight the fact that there's there's a lot of demand for, for heat right now. Um, I think about uh, here in Lansing where I uh, I live in East Lansing, but in the Lansing area there's a, a restaurant uh, downtown that does a lot of great baked goods. And they sent out a note to their customers this morning and said, you know, we might not have uh, the ovens running quite today like we usually do because we're, we're taking consumers' energy seriously and, and understanding the need to reduce our, our gas usage. And the, so they said to our customers, we hope that you appreciate and can be patient with us as we you know, get through these next couple of days. Um, it's, it's an inconvenience, and, and we, we certainly appreciate people's patience and, and understand there's a little bit of grumbling there as, as they get the, the request to turn down the thermostat a little bit. Um, but in my home right now, I've got the I've got the thermostat set to 62 degrees, and I've got my I've got my uh, my socks on, and I feel comfortable enough. It's a, it's a <laughs> little bit little bit different than what I would do normally, but um, this is this is what we're trying to do to get through uh, today and tomorrow.
0: So so the weather is supposed to break tomorrow a little bit. It'll break further on on Saturday. Uh, how soon do you believe that that you'll be able to to not be worried about the supply of natural gas?
1: right and and we'll be providing updates to the day today and tomorrow at this point we're asking people to be prepared to to reduce their natural gas usage through tomorrow through friday um, that may change a little bit as we go along here but the the warmer weather on the weekend will will provide a, a benefit uh, this is really a question of, of supply and demand and I'm, I try not to talk economics too much but As the the weather warms up a little bit, that's going to reduce the need for people to be using their furnaces or other things to stay warm anyway. Um, And we are working actively at this compressor station I mentioned in Macomb County to try to get our facilities back online and get the gas flowing as fast as we can.
0: Brian Wheeler, spokesperson for Consumers Energy, thanks very much for joining us for this update. Thank you. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk more about the weather. We're going to have two climate experts with us who can tell us what is going on. What is this polar vortex and why is it visiting on us here in the Midwest? Also, is this connected to the conversation we keep having about climate change and the effects around the globe? Stay with us on Detroit Today. you're listening to detroit today on 1019 wdet i'm stephen henderson and as always i'm really glad you've joined us it's so cold outside that well you finished the line But you know what I'm saying. It's colder than it has been in 25 years here in southeast Michigan. Bitterly, dangerously cold, and everybody is talking about it. The polar vortex has pushed the planet's coldest air right down on us here in Michigan, and we are suffering because of it. But what is the polar vortex, and why is it here in the American Midwest? What is causing these weather events, which we are seeing more and more frequently all around the globe? And are they proof of, are they disproof of, or are they completely unrelated to climate change? That's where we want to continue the conversation today on Detroit Today. And I've got two wonderful experts here to help us sort through what we are living through and what it all means. Nick Schreck is an environmental law expert and director of clinical programs at the University of Detroit Mercy Law School. Nick, welcome back to Detroit Today.
2: Thank you for having me, Stephen.
0: Also with us is Steve Vavrus. He's a senior scientist at the Nelson Institute Center for Climate Research at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Steve, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. So, Steve, I'm going to start with you. Uh, Tell us what the polar vortex is, and how is it visiting here in the Midwest? How is it possible that something that lives normally over the pole is all the way down in North America?
3: That's a good question, and that's what a lot of us are talking about this week. Um, What reason it, the polar vortex is a little bit hard to understand is it's taken on a life of its own in terms of its usage. It's become this colloquial term for it a severe cold wave. And, um, and so that's why we're hearing it all the time in the media right now, the polar vortex, this and that. Um, technically, the polar vortex is actually um, a circulation cell about 20 miles up in the atmosphere, in the stratosphere, uh, and it acts as the strong winds associated with and act as a barrier to keep the cold Arctic air masses to the north and keep uh, places like Detroit and the upper Midwest relatively warm in the winter. Now, occasionally, that circulation cell breaks down, and a lobe of that cold Arctic air is then uh, able to transport itself southward and reach places like Detroit and make us really cold. And those happen occasionally in the winter. The last time it happened around here was about five years ago. Uh, but it's not, you know, it, it's happened before and it'll happen again. Uh, but the intensity of this one is surprising, especially amid a warming
0: climate. And, and the, the frequency with which this happens, it seems like it's more frequent than it used to be. Is that true?
3: There was a study done a couple years ago that looked at the last 35 years or so of weather records, and it was a really nice paper because they looked at different types of um, strength of the polar vortex, times when it's really strong and that cold air is locked up in the Arctic, and times when it's weak that it allows these cold blobs to reach the Midwest. And they found that there has been an increase in the weak states, that is times like right now when uh, the circulation cell more or less breaks down, And it allows occasionally these little lobes of very cold air to transport southward, and so yes, the short answer is that it appears that the frequency of these sorts of circulation conditions has been increasing in recent decades.
0: Uh, Nick Schreck, tell us why this is happening, why this increase in in the polar vortex coming to places that it that that it normally doesn't, and how concerned we ought to be about this in the context of the conversation about climate change.
2: Yeah. And and actually, you know, I'm sure Stephen, feel free to, to jump in. Um, you know, as, as an environmental attorney, you know, I study a lot of our laws and policies around climate change and around um, our environmental regulations. And, you know, it is related. We're seeing with an increase of CO2 and carbon in the atmosphere and a warming planet, um, we're seeing some changes in things like sea ice. So the amount of sea ice that we have in the Arctic, the amount of sea ice that we have in areas um, above Siberia, and with with a decrease in sea ice, what happens is is instead of sun reflecting off of that ice, you have oceans absorbing more of that sun and more of that heat. Um, that creates overall warmer temperatures, and then that can have some big impacts for the things like Stephen was saying about this, this rotation of air currents in the Arctic. By changing temperatures in the oceans and, and ground temperatures across the, the world from a warming climate, we're seeing shifts in these air currents. Um, we're seeing, you know, weakening of the jet stream, which may allow more of these um, polar types of air masses to come down into our region. So it is related to a warming climate. And that's something that, you know, as we continue to dump more and more carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, um, as, as we just learned a couple of weeks ago, we've had an increase again in CO2 emissions globally, even though there's been all this attention on trying to work to reduce those emissions. So we've got a long way to go, but, it, but it's definitely it's related to, Human activity, human um, activity that causes increase in CO2 emissions or carbon emissions that lead to these changes in climate.
0: But the president says you're wrong about that. The president says it's cold outside, and that's proof the planet's not warming. Doesn't that make sense?
2: I can't wait to hear the president weigh in next week when it's 50 <laughs> degrees on, you know, February third or fourth. Not look, I, he's not a serious person on this topic. I have no no problem saying that. You know, I suppose it's progress that he's talking about. You know, rooting for global warming now, uh, whereas what a couple years ago he was saying that this was a, a hoax invented by the Chinese. But in all seriousness, I mean, we shouldn't joke about climate change. You know, you look at just this past year, I mean, the in- the incidents that we had in California with the wildfires, um, you know, people dying in Puerto Rico from more intense hurricanes. I mean, there are real drastic consequences. And by the way, while we're dealing with record cold temperatures here in the Great Lakes region – at the same time, in Australia, on the other it's side of the globe, hot. they have record heats. I mean, they're they're you know bats are dying off, um, ho- wild horses are dying. Um, it, you have a 120 degree Fahrenheit temperatures in Australia. So, um, yeah, I mean, the president, I would I would not take him seriously on the subject of global warming and climate change.
0: And and Steve Vavrus, I think it's really difficult sometimes to get people. To understand the difference between weather and climate right what I see out my window versus what's going on globally over time and when it is extremely cold like this uh, I, I, I think reasonable people sometimes scratch their heads and say well what 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 is this warming thing that we're talking about if it's warming how come how come it's so cold outside
3: right well the easy way to dispel that issue is uh, just to look at a, a global weather map of temperature anomalies. Even if you look at it right now, you'll see that even though the middle of the North America is very cold, uh, most of the rest of the world is quite warm, as Nick said. I mean, Australia is having record heat, but not just there. If you look at a kind of a red-blue map of temperature anomalies right now, you'll see a lot more red around the world indicating above normal temperatures. And, when we had that really cold winter five years ago, uh, another one of these cold waves, the same thing. There was this little island of blue of cold air in the middle of the country, middle of North America, but the rest of the world was warm. Uh, but this issue of weather versus climate is really important because it's understandable. If you're in the middle of minus 20 degree air, it's hard to be feel immediately too concerned about a warming climate. But a distinction can be made between the two Uh, Using the analogy of a person's mood versus a person's personality, Hmm. climate is like a person's personality, how they normally are, what you expect in the long term, but the weather is like a person's mood. Uh, A a laid-back person can occasionally lose their temper unexpectedly uh, in the short term. And so these sorts of fluctuations, sometimes counterintuitive fluctuations, like a cold spell in the midst of a warming climate, can be thought of in that same sort of way.
0: Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson and my guests are Nick Schreck, an environmental law expert and director of clinical programs at the University of Detroit Mercy Law School. Also with us is Steve Vavrus; He's a senior scientist at the Nelson Institute Center for Climate Research at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. We're talking about this Bitter, bitter, dangerous cold that we are living through here in southeast Michigan and all across the Midwest. It's caused by the polar vortex. We're talking about what the polar vortex is, why it's here in the Midwest instead of over the pole, and how frequently that's happening, uh, how all of that is related to the idea of the climate changing on the globe, not just here, but everywhere. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call and tell us what you make of all this crazy weather we're seeing. Uh, do you worry about its effect on your car or plants in your garden or on the roads we all drive? And what are your questions or concerns about climate change and the effects that it's going to have on our region? As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-4000. 1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will try to work you into the conversation. Let's start with Ed in Detroit. Ed, what's on your mind?
4: Uh, understanding that the northern uh, polar region uh, is a fairly large body of water and for most of human time, it's been covered with ice. And the southern polar region is a fairly large continent, also covered with ice, Uh, and I think there are probably some differences in weather behavior between the two. Is there something similar uh, uh, operating in the southern polar regions to hold cold air over and around Antarctica and keep it from bleeding? Further north into the uh, semi-tropical areas of the southern hemisphere.
0: That's a really interesting answer
4: on the radio. Yeah,
0: it's a really interesting question, Ed. Uh, Does this phenomenon repeat itself? On the
2: South Pole, Nick or, or Steve? Does I'll, I'll an punt answer? to Steve on that one if he has an answer. <laughs> okay.
3: Yeah, so there are some key differences between the Southern Polar Regions and the Northern Polar Regions. As the caller mentioned, one of the big differences is that the, the North Pole is um, surrounded mostly mid-water, and the South Pole is, is a large landmass. And because of that, there's important differences in terms of climate change. Uh, Sea ice, uh, the ice that's formed on the Arctic Ocean, is relatively thin. I mean, it's getting thinner all the time, but it's it's relatively thin and can respond quickly to a warming climate. Uh, The ice can uh, melt back and absorb more sunlight as it does so, and so that's the reason why we're seeing such rapid warming in the Arctic today over the last few decades. By contrast, in the southern hemisphere, because it's this giant landmass, a giant ice sheet, Uh, it's very slow to respond to climate, relatively speaking, and therefore we're not seeing as much warming as quickly in the Antarctic region. Now, that said, the weather circulation cells do exist in both hemispheres, and in fact, in the southern hemisphere, where the temperatures are even colder in the south pole region than in the Arctic, you get even stronger westerly winds. So there's so-called roaring 40s that exist around 40 degrees latitude south and that does a really effective job of usually locking in that cold polar air to the south, uh, toward the South Pole. Um, but the same circulation cells exist, and occasionally there are breakdowns in the Roaring Forties, allowing some Antarctic air to uh, creep into the middle latitudes of the Southern Hemisphere.
0: And and these things that you're talking about are the normal conditions how reliable uh, should we think those normalities are at this point right uh, the things that we have come to expect uh, from weather around the globe uh, and these forces that that keep that those things happening are they really breaking down in a fundamental way or are these just kind of anomalies that 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 crop up
3: Well, we are getting into uncharted territory in terms of our level of uh, carbon emissions and carbon dioxide uh, concentrations in the atmosphere. And we are seeing changes, especially in the Arctic, that we haven't seen in a very long time. So uh, in that sense, things are very different. However, it's still cold in the Arctic, and and that's not going to change, even though it's not as cold. Uh, and so these circulation cells, like the polar vortex, like we talked about before, will still exist, and there still will be ice and snow up in the Arctic, uh, but they, it will moderate. And so we, we need to kind of keep an open mind that um, the conditions that we've gotten used to are changing and that we need to be aware and, and realize that there may be some, some jumps, potentially, in the climate system, according to the geologic record, where the climate system uh, doesn't just change gradually and warm slowly. It can actually jump into a, a different state. Mm.
2: Yeah, and I would I would say that with when we have these extreme weather events, whether it's extreme cold or extreme heat, that always gets a lot of attention. But you know, people here in in Michigan and in, in the Great Lakes region, you know, think about what our winter was like way back in December. Okay, we didn't have snow; we had above normal it pretty warm. temperatures. It was yeah, it was. I was walking around all over the city without <laughs> much trouble. People were on the scooters, uh, zipping around, um, and. And, and so we, we we tend to focus on these extreme weather events because they they literally hit you in the face when you walk out the door. Um, but we have to pay attention that, you know, our winters have been getting shorter. Um, we're, we're seeing our, our colder weather start later in the season, um, certainly here in Michigan. And so, you know, we have to keep all of this in perspective that when you have these interruptions, these events that happen that really grab your attention, we need to continue to pay attention to these long-term trends. We need to continue to pay attention to the overall Warming of the the global temperatures because that will have these long term effects. So while again it's extreme bitter cold and we're focusing on that today, um, you know we have to look at it. Our 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 seasons are starting to shift. We're starting to see changes in migratory patterns for migratory birds and animals because they're adjusting to these changing seasons. So you know it it may be this this new normal, but I think um, as as Steve said, we're we're evolving and we have to just kind of keep paying close attention to how these shifts will happen over time.
0: What about uh, people who say the planet has warmed? and cooled several times over its lifetime and mostly it's done so without human beings even being here. Uh, Is this more about the planet doing what it normally does and us reacting to it in a way that no species before us probably could? Or is it really about our behavior and our driving of that climate change? Uh, and, And even if it is, Let's say uh, that there's no question about this being a result of human activity. Don't we have uh, the ability as humans to to fix it? No matter matter how much we damage the climate on the planet, can't we figure out a way to to make it tolerable for us
2: to, to be here? Well, the the thing to think about is, um, of course, we could we could look at the dinosaurs, um, you know, and we we've got fossil records going back to see these mass extinctions over time. There's been several of them um, since the time the Earth was formed, and um, you know, I personally don't want to be responsible for the <laughs> <Another> <laughs> exacerbating <one? laughs> the next great <laughs> extinction, um, and and for you know. Children and grandchildren, um, you know, we're talking about in a relatively short amount of time. We need to make drastic changes to the amount of carbon emissions um, we're releasing into the atmosphere um, because it is it is unprecedented. You know, you go back and you look at the the record of ice when they take ice core samples from the Arctic, and you can see the level of carbon in the atmosphere. You know, going back thousands, millions of years, and um, and we can we can measure them. We know that, that we're really in uncharted territory here, and so you're starting to see these these events happening from a climatological perspective and a weather perspective that you know certainly we, we haven't seen before, um, probably since you know the humans have been um, <laughs> walking around on the earth. So, um, you know, again, really really dramatic shift, and as far as innovating our way out of it, um. I mean, yes, we need to make some drastic steps in terms of technology advancements, but we already know today that the best thing we can do is reduce our carbon emissions, and there's strategies to do that by shifting to renewable energy sources, um, by moving more towards electric vehicles. I mean, there's, there's solutions out there today on the shelf that we can we can take and use um, to hopefully slow this catastrophic change of, of the climate.
0: Yeah, uh, Steve Vavris, uh, what do you say to people who say, hmm, The planet does this all the time, and it's not more significant because we're here for this change this time than it has been throughout the planet's history.
3: Yeah, and I I hear that uh, argument a lot. And to that, I would say that we, we do understand a lot about why the climate has changed in the past. We know very definitely there are certain mechanisms that cause the climate to change, but they operate on very long time scales one of the most common ones that dictates the timing of interglacial climates, happen on the timescale of tens of thousands of years. What we're seeing today is an incredibly fast rate of change, and that's so important. The faster the rate of climate change, the more difficult it is to cope with it. And then secondly, I would say that the past record that shows these dramatic temperature differences from today, like the warmth of the dinosaur era, is proof that the climate system can change really, really drastically, and because we know that it can change drastically, that's all the more reason to uh, that lends credibility to predictions that we're going to see a very different climate in the coming decades. Mm. If uh, I do a lot of climate modeling with computers, if the, the geologic record indicated that no, the climate's been pretty steady for millions of years, I would say, well, maybe there's something wrong with our climate models. But instead, because we know that the climate has changed drastically over thousands and millions of years, uh, it gives me all the more sense that, wow, this this climate system really is flexible, and it may not be remaining in the state that we're used to for much longer. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, let's go back to the phones here. Tom in Westland. Tom, welcome to Detroit Today.
4: Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, i got a, a question first, and then maybe a comment or two afterwards. Uh, I, I'm kind of curious, has, has the amount of carbon Uh, emissions, you know, due to human, you know, human behavior, has that gone down since like, say the 1960s or has it gone up?
0: Hmm. Great question, Uh, uh, Tom, uh, Nick or Steve, who wants to have a crack at that?
2: Nick, you want to have a go at that? Sure. So, I mean, we, we continue to see an increase. So we've had, um, you know, with a growing global population um, with increased uh, vehicle, Emissions in Southeast Asia, um, India, China, um, with the the rate of carbon-based energy um, development that they that they've been bringing out. So, building a lot of coal plants in China, for instance, we have continued to see an increase in CO two emissions. Um, you know. W- we we had a, a little bit of a, a pause during the Great Recession due to uh, slower economic activity, but we've now again seen that increase. And I would, as um, I, I stated a little bit earlier, we actually even had last year again a global increase in CO two emissions. So that the trend continues to be in the increasing direction. Um, you know, certainly above 1960s levels, and it continues to increase.
0: Yeah, uh, Tom, thanks very much for the question and the the, the comments there. Uh, let's go to Jamie and Taylor. Jamie. Welcome to Detroit today. Hello, hey.
4: Um, my question is about maybe if it is engineered. This vortex has been engineered um, with the type of maybe geoengineering. Um, I I came in a little late on all of this ta- all of this discussion with, that you guys are having, and I um, heard also on the ra- the news today they said on Channel Two News in Detroit that they predicted this vortex over a month ago, and now I'm, I was already questioning the engineering, and I'm, now I'm questioning it even
0: more. And that's it, hmm. thank you. That's an interesting, that's a very interesting question. I'm not sure I, I know enough about the idea of uh, geoengineering to even start to contemplate the answer to that. Can uh, you, Nick or Steve, help, uh, help us understand?
3: Well, let me address the second point. It seemed like the caller had two points. One was about the geoengineering. The other was about the forecast of this uh-huh. cold wave a month ago. Um, it's an interesting point about the forecast. Um, this uh, What often happens with these cold waves is that their origin is uh, a breakdown of this polar vortex, but the wind's 20 miles up in the atmosphere and the stratosphere. And those winds did start to break down a little before Christmas. And so there was some concern that uh, typically that ends up slowing our winds down near the surface uh, over a few weeks. And that's what's happened. So there was concern raised at that time that somebody somewhere in the northern hemisphere could get a big cold wave because of that. But at that time, it was very unclear, really impossible to predict exactly when and where who would get hit. Um, It turns out it happened to me, the Midwest Uh, could have been Europe. It could have been Asia. Uh, But anyway, yeah, the caller is very astute to point that out. Uh, in terms of geoengineering, that's sort of a separate question. That's more of a climate-related one, uh, things that we might be able to do to slow down the warming in the atmosphere. It's a very controversial subject. Nick may have more to say on the policy aspect of it. Uh, meteorologically, one of the risks of it is that we probably don't understand the climate system enough to know exactly what engineering tasks need to be done in order to have uh, favorable impacts on the climate system without bad side effects. Mm-hmm. And a lot of research that's been done to this to date has shown that you can geoengineer your way out of some of the warming trends, but a side effect of that is you disrupt precipitation patterns around the world. So the last thing we want is to moderate the temperature a bit, but end up having more severe droughts over much of the world.
2: Nick? Yeah, I would I would worry about the unintended consequences, um, as I, I think Steve just sort of hit on there, and and really what I, I think the message we need to drive home to our elected officials and to policymakers is that you know setting aside some sort of technological innovations we may come up with or some amazing geoengineering idea that we have to, to slow the warming climate, we already know that a good strategy today is to reduce our carbon emissions reduce our co2 and so and yet even though we've known this um for for decades um you know really going back a long time we've known that we, we need to get a handle on these carbon emissions and reduce them and we haven't done it and there's a lot of misinformation out there there's a lot of um just sort of facts that are, that are um, alternative facts, I guess, things that are made up that are thrown in to try and um, divert from, from what we know, and that is that we, we've got to get a handle on our CO2 emissions and reduce them, or we're going to continue to see a warming climate at, again, a very drastic, rapid pace.
0: Okay. Nick Schreck, environmental law expert and director of clinical programs at the University of Detroit Mercy Law School. Always great to catch up with you here on Detroit Today. Thanks Thank for you, being Stephen. Here. Yeah. Also, Steve Avaris, senior scientist at the Nelson Institute Center for Climate Research at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Thank you very much for joining us as well.
3: Thanks so much for having me, Stephen.
0: Up next, Satori Shakur, the host of Twisted Storytellers, is going to join us to talk about freedom stories at the Arab American National Museum. Stay with us on Detroit today.